Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Wednesday, July 27th. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm Addison Colombo. And I'm Isabel Dances. Here's What's What in New York. Starting Monday, speed cameras in the city will be running for 24 hours a day. The 2,000 cameras used to run between 6 a.m. and 10 p.m. on weekends. Today, the city is hosting a day of awareness to inform drivers of the change. Governor Hochul recently signed a law allowing longer camera hours, but she wasn't the only politician pushing for the update. Mayor Eric Adams and the Department of Transportation have supported more speeding prevention for a while. Adams says that 59% of traffic fatalities in the city occurred during the hours when the cameras were off. Public safety is a prerequisite of prosperity, and it includes vehicle crashes. And New Yorkers of all kind have been dealing with this violence. Uh, No community is safe. Uh, Traffic safety is public safety. The Department of Transportation says that since they installed the speeding cameras in 2014, speeding has gone down by 72 percent. With the new cameras, any driver going over 10 miles per hour will be ticketed. Former President Obama released his annual summer playlist. The playlist includes a variety of genres, ranging from pop to indie to rap to classics. And Obama wasn't just pulling from today's charts. While his mix did include Break My Soul from Beyonce and Music for a Sushi Restaurant by Harry Styles, he also had some blasts from the past, with Aretha Franklin's Save Me and Bruce Springsteen's Dancing in the Dark. Obama said in his tweet that he often learns about new music and artists from people responding to him on social media. The former president also released his summer reading list, which had Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel as his number one. In other presidential news, President Joe Biden just tested negative for COVID. Biden said he had mild symptoms but was otherwise okay through his illness. Earlier this week, actor Paul Sorvino died at 83. Sorvino was best known for his iconic roles in Goodfellas, Law & Order, and many more. I had the chance to talk with his co-star and close friend Chaz Palminteri yesterday about his passing. Paul was a true Renaissance man, modern-day Renaissance man. He was really a great actor. He was a wonderful singer. Uh, he was a painter. He was an opera singer. And he was bright, and he could write. I, I miss him. And I hope that, uh, you know, he's with the angels right now. You can catch the entire sit-down with Chaz Palminteri on our website and on the What's What podcast in the upcoming weeks. Long Island is dealing with a summer full of sharks. WFV's Taylor Masetta has the scoop. For Long Islanders, the entire month of July has felt like Shark Week. Six shark attacks have occurred off the shores of Jones Beach and Fire Island in the past two weeks. This is an unprecedented amount of bites, as Long Island usually has one or two reported attacks every year. However, cleaner, warmer waters and larger fish populations are attracting more and more sharks. According to the Long Island Aquarium's Teddy Tilkin, this isn't a random resurgence. The sharks have always been here. A lot of this has kind of happened during some of the busiest beach seasons. Before that, you know, beachgoers were far and few between whether people were at work or just weather-wise. But these sharks are always in our waters, always around. Over 20 species of shark call the Long Island coast their home. This includes spiny dogfish, makos, hammerheads, and even great white sharks. Sand tiger sharks, a species responsible for some of the recent attacks, are known to breed in Long Island waters. Unfortunately, some unlucky swimmers may become a taste test. Sharks do not have hands. 
the only way for them to really figure out if uh, whether or not they're fully going to eat or what something is, is a lot of times by tasting. So they do exploratory bites. Sometimes an exploratory bite on a person can lead to a lot more damage than we would want. So, Nevertheless, Tilkin says that the sharks aren't purposely targeting humans. They're just looking for food. You are not on their menu. They are not interested in attacking people. And unfortunately, the majority of attacks are because of mistaken identity. To help prevent more attacks, Governor Hochul has increased lifeguard staffing and enhanced drone surveillance cameras. That way, a shark can be spotted quickly so beaches can be cleared. However, Tilkin sees the shark's presence as a good thing. Sharks are probably one of the most important things to um, local food chains and the overall environment and the health of the ocean. Sharks are at the top of the food chain. They're that top predator. So they help keep balance throughout the rest of the populations of fish and seals. And considering the ocean is is as important for our climate, uh, the air that we breathe and so many other factors in our in our everyday world, sharks play a major role in that. It's safe to say Long Island's going to need a bigger boat. I'm Taylor Massetta, WFUV News. That was WFUV's Taylor Massetta. Earlier this week, Russia announced that they intend to pull out of the International Space Station after 2024. This statement was no surprise, but according to NASA, Russia hasn't made any formal intent to leave the station known. In other Russian news, WNBA star Brittany Griner testified in court today. Griner has been detained since February after being arrested for carrying canisters of cannabis oil in a Russian airport. Griner's lawyers say she was prescribed cannabis to help ease pain, as many other professional athletes are. In Griner's testimony, she said that the canisters were detected by drug-sniffing dogs in the airport, and she was promptly detained. She claims that she did not know what was going on because of the language barrier, and was never read her rights. She also said that when she tried to contact her lawyer, her phone was taken. Well, to learn what else is happening in the world of sports, let's pass it off to WFUV's Lou Orlando. It's a fun time, stressful time, maybe even a bad time to be a New York baseball fan depending on which team you root for. The Yankees and Mets conclude a two-game Subway series tonight. It was the Mets winning the battle last night, overcoming a 2-0 first-inning deficit. They scored four runs in the first inning and tacked on two more, with Edwin Diaz sealing the 6-3 victory with a four-out save. The Mets have now won five of their last seven games against the Yankees. They'll look to add to that tonight as they go for the two-game sweep. Max Scherzer on the mound for the Mets against the Yankees' Domingo Herman. Scherzer has been brilliant of late, pitching to a 1.78 ERA since his return from an elbow injury that sidelined him for two months. Herman also returning from injury. He'll look for better results after pitching just three innings and allowing five runs in his season debut against the Houston Astros. The loss wasn't the only bad news for the Yankees. It was announced before yesterday's game that outfielder Giancarlo Stanton is headed to the 10-day IL with Achilles tendonitis, his second IL stint of the year. Stanton has been a big bat for the Yankees all season long, and his injury comes at an inopportune time, with the Yankees going through their first extended slump of the season. Stanton is expected to miss two to three weeks. Switching gears to the NFL, training camp begins for the Giants and Jets today. Both teams look to take big leaps this season with the Jets' playoff hopefuls, and the Giants trying to right the ship with new head coach Brian Dable in what could potentially be quarterback Daniel Jones' final year with the team. With WFEV Sports, I'm Lou Orlando. Thanks so much, Lou. You've probably never heard the name Charles B.J. Snyder, but you've definitely seen one of his buildings. He stamped his name on a ton of schools around the city. 
WPV's David Escobar sat down with Snyder's great-granddaughter, Cindy Laval, and her partner, Mike Janoska, to learn more about the man who built New York City's public schools. Back in the late 1800s, New York City had just consolidated into the five boroughs we know today, and tenement life was at its peak. The city needed hundreds of new schools, and it needed them fast. So the city called on a man named Charles B.J. Snyder. If you've never heard the name, Mike Janoska says you've definitely seen one of his buildings. Snyder designed more than 400 schools and additions. 250 about of those buildings are still in use, and about 200 are still in use as schools. These are buildings that are now well over 100 years old. Those are schools like Morris High School in the Bronx and Erasmus Hall High School in Brooklyn. Snyder's decades of work are detailed in the new book, From Factories to Palaces, written by Dr. Jean Arrington. Since Arrington passed away earlier this year, Cindy Laval is picking up where Arrington left off to tell her great-grandfather's story. Despite having no experience with schools, he was elected by the Board of Education to the position of superintendent of school buildings in New York City. He always had three things in his mind when he was making the decisions, uh, the appearance, the construction, and the function. Construction is a key part of any building, but Snyder's designs were revolutionary for his time. Janoska says that Snyder paved the way for many common features we see in buildings today. Well, for one thing, he fireproofed buildings, which is something that was new at the time. He had two sets of handrails so that taller and shorter students would have access to a handrail. And he had fire doors at each each level and a stair towers or masonry. Most people probably don't think about how to brought the bathrooms inside. You couldn't take it for granted back then because a lot of those features were new. But Snyder wasn't just a pioneer for building safety and accessibility. He was pragmatic, and the city often gave him undesirable lots in the middle of city blocks for the schools. So Janoska says that Snyder had to come up with a way to maximize the space while also making the buildings attractive to students. Well, I think he wanted wanted them to stand out. They were very distinctive. Uh, He did incorporate a design which he called the H-plan, which allowed him to build schools on mid-block lots. The opening on each side of the H would open up onto a side street. It provided two courtyards for each building that could be used for greenery, for one thing. And as the students entered through these courtyards, they had three sides of really, really nice architecture to look at. Nowadays, Laval and Janoska say it's pretty easy to spot a Snyder building by its eight shape in collegiate Gothic architecture. But back in Snyder's day, Janoska says the design of the building served a more important purpose. Most of the students that were attending were immigrant children or children with immigrants, you know, learning a new a new life in a new country. So he wanted his schools to be welcoming. He wanted them to be attractive, which was, you know, a big change from where most of them came from, which would have been tenements that were dark and dreary. Yeah, I think they wanted to induce civic pride. And they, they felt that uh, part of inducing civic pride and, and having students grow up to be, quote unquote, good Americans, let's say, was um, a good education, and a good education they felt was required good schools. So next time you pass by one of the 250 CBJ buildings still standing today, you can bask in its century-old glory. At least, that's what Snyder would have wanted. With WFUV News, I'm David Escobar. That was Fordham Conversations host David Escobar speaking with Cindy Laval and Mike Janoska about the new book, From Factories to Palaces. Fordham Conversations taps into the Fordham University community, to uncover and discuss issues that impact our world near and far. 
And that's our show for today. I'm Isabel Danzis. And I'm Addison Colombo. Check back with us tomorrow at 3 o'clock for more news, music, culture, and sports. And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org and wherever you get your podcasts.